We hope you enjoyed this week's encouraging message from Cornerstone of Victory Church. If you would like more information about the church, stay tuned until after this week's encouraging podcast. We are at Invest Now in our series, and I want to talk today about how uh, giving your troubles to God is actually an investment. About how doing that, giving your troubles to God, is actually an investment, which we probably don't think about it that way, but it really is. See, um, investing, generally, you know, in, in any different way, no matter what field you're doing so, it generally means that you're taking something and you're putting it somewhere else, and it is therefore going to become what could not become if it just stayed in your possession. Yeah? So whatever it is, you know, you, you, know, you had three apples, you ended up with five or six apples. You know, it's just, you know, so investing is where you're taking something and putting it somewhere else because it would be better off there than if you just kept it. Yeah? Just make sense? Okay. All right. So investing your cares in God is a really big deal. Okay? And here's why. Um, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain a little bit, and then we're going to look at some passages and some examples, so just bear with me. I'm, I'm going to try to make this as, as clear as I can. Um, when you have a care in your life, okay, we call it that because in some way it's connected to your heart, right? It's a care. So that means your heart is involved. Your heart is an aspect of that thing, okay? So we have different cares. And what we do very often is that when we have that care, we then place that care somewhere. But here's the thing. When you place a care somewhere, okay, your heart's invested there, and that conveys relationship. Where you place your care conveys relationship. So it is very important where you choose to place those cares. Because if you place those cares in a place that is not appropriate for them or something that cannot reciprocate that relationship, well, now you're, trying, you're, you're investing your heart in something and you're not going to get a return there. Where we place our cares is, in fact, very important. And I think we tend to, in our life, as, as time goes on, we get so busy, our cares kind of get scattered about. They, they kind of land all, all over the place. You know, stocks go up and down, family members get sick, you know, random different things happen. And pretty soon, we find our cares are just kind of littered all over the place. Which therefore means our heart is kind of littered all over the place. Which is kind of a hard way to live. But if we intentionally place our cares where they belong, what we find is we're not so scattered, we're actually investing in the relationship we have with God. So we're going to talk more about that. We're going to look first at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Um, they're going to be up on the screen, and uh, they're going to be a different translation than what I'm going to read from here. So whether it's the, whether it's the verse on the screen, or what you hear me say in your own Bible, um, it's all going to be a little bit different, but, but follow along, it's the same meaning. So here's what it says. And God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand by casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Now, when you read the first part of this, um, if, you, uh, if you grew up in, in a religious atmosphere, people would really harp on that, you know. Uh, and God will exalt you in due time. And then, you know, they would kind of they show you from everything else. And they really focus on if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand, you know. And they would talk, you know, and they would kind of harp on making sure that you feel low enough, you know. 
Um, I, I heard messages like that growing up, and and they and they just they they focus everything there. But if you if we look at the whole picture, because here these two verses are one sentence. It was I meant to be cut off. So if you look at the whole thing, there's a whole idea here that people often kind of skirt right over because they focus on their idea of humility instead of what it actually says. It says, and God will exalt you. In other words, he will lift you up as only he can if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand, okay, by casting, as in the manner, the way that you humble yourself is to cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So that conveys trust, guys, that you're not operating with, I'm going to do it all by myself, and I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to make this happen. And No, we're not, you're, not, you're, not, you're not carrying all those cares yourself and trying to walk around because I can do it. You know? No. Instead, you are choosing, you know what? I wasn't supposed to do this alone. I was not designed to live apart from God, being self-sufficient in all things and you know, making it because I can do it on my own. I wasn't made for that. I was literally not designed for that. So as we cast our cares on him, that is an act of humility, but it's not a self-deprecating one. It's not where you beat yourself up. It's not where, you know, and, and you, you get low enough so you can taste the dirt, you know. It's not like that. No, it's that you trust him. And there's that relationship, okay? That is what it's supposed to be like. So you see, you humble yourselves under his mighty hand. And again, people read that and they think, you know, as if a mighty hand is pressing down on them. No, no, no. It's, it's, a, it's a mighty hand that lifts you up in due time because it would need a, I mean, a mighty hand does that well. Lifts you up in the right way at the right time, okay? So you humble yourselves under his hand, guys, because guess what? That's the hand that lifts you up at exactly the right time and in the right way where you belong, to live that life that he intended for you in Christ, to make the difference, to be that light in the world, to be able to live that out. Because whenever we try to do it by trying hard, can anyone, t you know, can anyone testify with me? It doesn't work. When, you know, it's, I'm going to try so hard, and you're exhausted, and you're like, man, why am I not seeing any results? But whenever we humble ourselves, we say, Father, you know, Father, I need you. you know, I cast my cares on you. Then what happens is he lifts us up, a lot higher than we could stand up on our own. Amen. And all of a sudden we're doing things and we're operating and we're loving people in ways we could not have done by trying hard. And it began by casting our cares on him. Guys, where you place your cares conveys relationship. It conveys relationship. And very often we place our cares in unstable relationships or in things that are not alive and therefore can't be in relationship with us. So we have to be intentional about where you place those cares. It matters a lot. But when you place them on God, guys, it is an investment because it, you're investing in that relationship and you come out differently. You come out differently. Those, those cares, which at times are not easy. I mean, the cares of life. If you say that phrase, people immediately think of the negative things because some things are genuinely hard. But when you place them in the right place, guys, they are an investment. Because in, when you invest in that relationship with your father... Your father's training you up to be something. Okay, it's awesome. So we're going to look at an example of that. Okay, so God accomplishes things that we cannot. We're going to look at an example in the Old Testament between David and Saul. Okay, so we're going to look in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we're going to look at first verses 12 and 13. 1 Samuel chapter 16 verses 12 and 13. Now... 
For time's sake, because um, I'm trying not to go over about 25 minutes like last time I spoke. Um, for time's sake, um, th- we're about to read when David was anointed to be king. Before this, long before this, if you go back and you read whenever Saul was anointed to be king, long before David, okay, um, he knew this was possibly coming, and he runs and hides because he hates the idea of having, you know, the pressure of being king. You know, he doesn't want that. He runs and he hides from it, okay? He avoids it. So here, well, you see, if you read the story, Saul had these cares that he did not want to be king, and he doesn't place them where they belong, which greatly impacts the manner in which Saul operated as king. And because he carried those cares and didn't place the cares where they belonged, he makes poor decisions, eventually to the point because he tries to always react independently from God. God eventually says, okay, I've not chosen you anymore. You, you, I can't, you can't be king because this is not working. And so then uh, uh, God directs Samuel to go and anoint David as king. So look at this, okay? We're looking at verses 12 and 13. So Jesse had him brought in. This is skipping ahead to where Samuel stood, t- looked at all the sons and said, okay, it's not any of these. It's not any of these sons. Um, it's, you know, do you have anyone else? And Jesse said, oh, yeah, I've got one more. He's, he's the littlest one, but he's out there watching the sheep. And Sam was like, oh, we'll bring him here. We're not doing anything else until he gets here. So they bring him in. Now he was ruddy with attractive eyes and a handsome appearance. The Lord said, go and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn full of olive oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, all of his older brothers. See this happen. His father sees this happen. Okay. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day onward. Then Samuel got up and went to Ramah. So here, David, a young boy, gets thrust upon him. Like, everyone knows what this means, okay? Like, he's anointing him to be king. He's anointing David to be king. He's in front of his older siblings and his father. And in this moment, David could pick up the idea of, I've got to go accomplish becoming king. I got to go make sure this happens now because I was anointed for this and a man of God told me this thing. So I've got to go work to make sure this happens. He could have had that perspective, but he didn't. David didn't try to accomplish becoming king. He trusted God with accomplishing it. And David just continued to live out of the relationship that he continued that he had with God. You know, God called David a man after his own heart. And David walked in that place not in the place of, I've got to make sure this thing happens. Okay? Now, very often, guys, in the, with all the opinions of the world, how often are we presented with a situation where someone says, and you've got to make sure this happens? Yeah. I, I grew up and I heard an awful lot of messages about how if I didn't make sure that someone else received Christ and the first time I spoke with them, then I had failed. Okay? But... You know, and, and granted, there are times for that. There are very good times. That's quite appropriate at times. And there are other times when, you know what, it's got to be a relationship for a while because they need to see what Christ is like. But I was trained to believe that it's always got to be the exact same formulaic way, okay, not, not by all the teachers in my life, but by, you know, some I heard. And so then if, if an interaction didn't go exactly right, I thought, man, that's on me. I, I did something wrong, you know. And, and so it kept me from really operating naturally out of the love of the, that the Lord put in my heart. Because I put that stipulation on it, you know. I picked up that burden. I've got to carry this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah? It didn't work. Okay. Here's a little more of David's story. So just listen. David was called then to play for Saul. 
So David was anointed to be, you know, David, you're going to become king, okay? Then David was called to come play the harp for Saul to ease Saul's mind whenever he was tormented by that bad spirit, right? Okay, so David did not do anything to make sure he got called. David was just called. Someone said, hey, I know a guy who plays the harp really well, and David was called. And then after that, um, David was sent to the battle lines to take supplies to his brothers. His dad sent him. David didn't accomplish that. David just did what his dad told him to do. Then David confronted Goliath. David did decide to do that one, but not because he planned out this cool map of ways to get my dad to send me to the battlefield so I can make myself look really good and somehow prize and become king. No, he went there. He followed his dad's instructions. He heard what Goliath was doing, and he was like, um, no, this isn't okay. The right thing to do right now is to stand up and do something. So he found the right time to do that, but he, wasn't, he didn't have this big mapped out plan of, okay, here's how I can work out all the pieces to make sure I end up there. He didn't do that. He didn't try to, to lift himself up and get as tall as possible to, to get to that position. He became a hero when he stood up to Goliath. And then he led Saul's troops and led them well and gained a lot of respect. Okay, so he got a, got a higher rank in the army. And he's just walking out what the people placed in front of him to do, what really God was placing in front of him to do. He just walked it out, piece by piece. Okay, then he had to run for his life whenever he was getting successful. So Saul tries to kill him. You know, we, I'm, I'm summarizing the story here. Saul tries to kill him. He realizes, I've got to run for my life. There's nothing else I can do. He runs away. He's in the desert. And this ragtag bunch of guys who nobody else wants and who owe people money, they all gather around him as their leader, okay? He didn't ask any of them to come. He didn't say, hey, guys, I'm in the desert and I'm a good leader and come follow me. You know, he just, he was there and they banded around him. And all of a sudden now David has an army. They just came to him. Like, he's got all, the, you know, all these things are happening. David did not plan these things out. David did not try, I mean, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to figure it out. I'm going to step every night. I'm going to map it out on paper. I'm going to figure out the politics. I'm going to do all these things to make sure it happens. He didn't do that. He walked out just what God showed him at that moment. Okay, so now we're going to look at another passage. Um, Saul has been hunting David. And we're going to look at how David operates now. He's under all this pressure, that, you know, he's running for his life, all these things. How does David operate? So we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 24 now. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And we're going to pick it up in verse 2. Okay. So, um, actually, no, I'm going to go ahead and read, read, read verse 1. Um, it says right here, 24 verse 1, When Saul was returning from pursuing the Philistines, they told him, Look, David is in the desert of El Gedi. And so Saul took 3,000 select men. I'm going to read a little, a little bit far, so just bear with me, okay? Saul took 3,000 select men from all Israel and went to find David and his men in the region of the rocks of the mountain goats. Uh, mountain goats go up to really high places, guys. So in other words, David was in places that he was, he was high up. This was not easy, terrain to navigate, not easy terrain to navigate. He came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went into the cave to relieve himself because they used caves for that back then. Uh, David and his men were sitting in the recesses of the cave. Now David's men said to him, This is the day about which the Lord said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand. And you can do to him whatever seems appropriate to you. So David got up and quietly cut off an edge of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David's, David's conscience bothered him because he, he had cut off, because he'd cut off an edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, 
May the Lord keep me far away from doing such things to my Lord, who is the Lord's chosen one, by extending my hand against him. After all, he is the Lord's chosen one. David restrained his men with, men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. Then Saul left the cave and started down the road. Now, afterwards, David got up and went out of the cave. He called out after Saul, My Lord, O King! When Saul looked behind him, David knelt down and bowed with his face to the ground. And David said to Saul, Why do you pay attention to these men who say, David is seeking to harm you? Today with your own eyes, you see how the Lord delivered you this very day into my hands in the cave. Some told me to kill you, but I had pity on you and said, I will not extend my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's chosen one. Look, my father. Guys, he calls him, Saul is there to kill him, and he addresses him as my father. He says, look, my father. And see the edge of your robe in my hand. When I cut off the edge of your robe, I didn't kill you. So realize and understand, I am not planning evil or rebellion. Even though I have not sinned against you, you were waiting in ambush to take my life. May the Lord judge between the two of us. And may the Lord vindicate me over you. But my hand will not be against you. Man. Now we're going to skip ahead just a little bit. I know I'm reading a lot. Bear with me. This is Saul's response, okay? David's saying all these things. He clearly says, you know, King, I could have, you're here to kill me. I could have put into it just like that. But I didn't want to. That's not what I wanted. He's like, you know, so he's making it crystal clear. Here is Saul's response. When David finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is that your voice, my son David? Note, Saul came here to kill him. And after seeing the way David reacted, Saul now calls the man he came to kill, my son. Think about that. Like, we read these passages very often, and we just think, oh, those were words they used back then, no big deal, it's casual. No, no, no. He came to kill this guy. He's had disdain for David. He tried to pin David to the wall with a spear previously. Okay? Strong feelings. Okay? Very strong feelings. But here, after seeing the mercy that David had... The first time seeing him, he addresses him as my son. Not, not even soldier, not even sir. I mean, there are many different terms of respect he could have used. But David addresses him as my father, and he addresses him back as my son. Saul's demeanor and what he saw was different because of the way David conducted himself. Guys, what David did here was incredibly powerful. We can't ever shortchange this. So when David finished speaking these words, Saul said to, um, to Saul, Saul said, Is that your voice, my son David? Then Saul wept loudly. He said to David, You are more innocent than I, for you have treated me well, even though I've tried to harm you. You've explained today how you've treated me well. The Lord delivered me into your hand, but you did not kill me. Man. Now, in here, guys, we see, we see so much, okay? David conducted himself in a way that Saul did not. And David was the one in the hard place. What enabled him to do that? Maybe it's that his cares were in the right place. Because you see, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, Saul's cares have been somewhere else. But David's cares have been placed upon the Lord, even though, man, he's on the run, he's living in the desert. Guys, the people he lives with day in and day out are all the people that society didn't want. Do you assume those people were easy to be around? Nobody wants them. These are the guys that everyone says, leave town. 
These are the David, not these are David's men. Now, you know, we all have people in our life that we think, man, so and so is kind of hard to be around. You know, I mean, like we're we're still learning how to love people well, and sometimes people get on our nerves. And let's be real, it happens. Okay, imagine if that was your army, is all of them. Okay, just I mean, think about it for a second. David's circumstances were not easy ones, but he knew where to put his cares. He knew where to put his cares. We're going to look at just one little. Uh, passage a little bit later. Time passes. Different things happen. David, uh, David picks up a wife. Saul goes back home. But Saul doesn't stay home because Saul still doesn't have places of cares in the right place. Saul's still making bad decisions. So look here. We're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel 26, chapter 5. Okay? 26. So David set out and went to a place where Saul was camped. Now, here's what happens. Saul, again, is coming after David because someone else has also told Saul, hey, um, Saul, isn't David over in this area? We've had word. We're pretty, pretty certain he's right here. And Saul has been away again. And Saul is thinking about all these things again. And Saul decides, you know what? I'm going to go after David again. Even though we, we just read what happened, a bit of time passes. And Saul decides to do the same thing again. Same thing. So David set out and went to the place where Saul was camped. David saw the place where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the general in command of his army, were sleeping. Now Saul was lying in the entrenchment, and the army was camped all around him. Now, so here David finds this, okay? People have again told Saul, hey Saul, you know, David's over here, you should really go check that out. You know, and Saul listens to them. And so Saul goes, and Saul sleeps, and his army is surrounding him, okay? We're going to skip ahead to verse 7. So David said to Abishai, um, which was like one of his top, top men, um, I'm sorry, you know, so David and Abishai approached the army at night and found Saul lying asleep in the entrenchment with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. Abner and the army were lying all around him. Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Let me drive this spear right through him into the ground with one swift jab. A second jab won't be necessary. But David said to Abishai, don't kill him. Who can extend his hand against the Lord's chosen one and remain guiltless? David went on to say, as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him down. Either this day, uh, oh, sorry, either his day will come and he will die or he'll go down in battle and be swept away. But, sorry, but may the Lord prevent me from extending my hand against the Lord's chosen one. Now take the spear by Saul's head and the jug of water and let's get out of here. So here in this situation... David, I mean, gosh, he, he, I mean, he could solve so many of his problems right here. He could. It'd be, it'd be easy. Like, it'd be so easy to say, you know what? I'm justified in doing this thing. It'd be so easy. But David's like, no, I, I can't do this. This would not be okay. I, you know, it doesn't matter how many opportunities I get to do something really convenient. It's still a bad idea. And David realizes that. He's like, so the fact that it keeps being presented in front of me over and over again doesn't all of a sudden make it a good idea. If it was a bad idea, it's still a bad idea. David is consistent in this. His heart is resolute. And then if we skip ahead to verses 21 through 23, I'm trying not to go through the, you know, every detail of every story. Essentially, David, call, David leaves, calls out to the army, reprimands the army saying, listen guys, you have failed your king. Your lives are forfeit. You didn't do your job. I could have killed him. Okay? So David addresses the army first. And then he says, uh, and then he, you know, he lets Saul know, hey, Saul, you know, I could have killed you again. So this is Saul's reply. Saul says, I have sinned. Come back, my son, David. Again, he calls him my son. 
I won't harm you anymore, for you've treated my life with value this day. I've behaved foolishly and have made a very terrible mistake. And David replied, Here is the king's spear. Let one of your servants cross over and get it. The Lord rewards each man for his integrity and his loyalty. Even though today the Lord delivered you into my hand, I was not willing to extend my hand against the Lord's chosen one. Guys, David, David was able, while on the run and while in great turmoil and while his life was in danger and all these stresses were happening, it's funny, David was able to operate in a kingly manner even though he was not at the moment in the, in, in the office of being king. So David placing his cares on the Lord caused him to operate like a king before he was one. Whereas Saul, who was already king, just he handled all of his cares the wrong way. And so what happened was he was already king and consistently acted like he wasn't one. Where we place our cares, guys, matters. Because we look, if we look at the story of both of these men and how it progressed, and you see where their hearts went, they're very different directions. Two men became king, but man, they conducted kingship so differently. Guys, it's just a picture of, you know, where we place our heart. Because that, you know, where you place your heart conveys so much trust. If you read the story, okay, um, Saul, at the beginning of the things, he always goes after David, after someone has said, hey, King Saul, isn't David over in this area, you know, and they're really making it obvious. And King Saul's like, you know, you're right. I better go after David. But beforehand, he, was, you know, he wasn't doing that. We need to begin to use some discernment about who we place our cares upon. Because there are some people who, you know, maybe they're, they're more mature in their faith than we are. They're further along. They're more seasoned. And we can place our cares there. We can call them more having a hard time. And when, we, when we're able to, to place our cares there in an honest Christian brother-sister relationship, that kind of thing, um, our cares diminish and get smaller. And we get clarity and they give us insight. And they direct us on what to do, you know, and they really help us to get something solid. But then we have people that we call them up and we tell them our cares and they join in to help us get angrier. And more frustrated. And you find that after the, the end of that conversation, you have more cares than when you started. Amen. We, guys, we get the privilege of loving and investing in everybody. And that, that is a privilege. And I think it's a really good one. But I'm going to be blunt. Stop telling these people your problems. If, if stop. Like, like really, like, if... If, we, if consistent, I don't mean like every once in a while because everyone has bad days, but if consistently, whenever you open up to this person, at the end of it, you are more frustrated, you are more angry, and you have more problems, they are not the person to go to. And it is very clear when that's happening. And guys, we, you know, it matters where you put your heart because your heart is an investment. It matters so much. So we must choose where we put these things. We can't just throw them everywhere because it's not like clothes. I mean, it's not like, you know, I mean, some of you, know, you, know, you might live in a messy atmosphere and fine. You know, when I was a college student, and man, my stuff was all over the place. But, but my heart was not in my T-shirt. That's different, you know. If you're throwing your ears all over the place and your heart's in them, man, I mean, someone's going to step on one of those. You know, we have to place our cares in good places with our Father, because He cares for us. Guys, that's what humility really looks like. That's what 
you know, that's what we get, you know. We get to, we get to uh, give our cares to our Father who loves us, and he lifts us up in the appropriate way. David was lifted up, and he didn't do it himself. He did get to become king. He, get, he did get to do some really important things. This is important. So David operated kingly long before he ever became king. Man. Okay. So David did become king, and he was made very well prepared for that. Now, these decisions were made from a place of simply trusting God. So we're going to look, look back real quick at 1 Peter uh, 5, 6, and 7. That's where we started. Okay, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Okay, so, um, and God will exalt you in due time. I mean, it means, guys, not early, not late, not in a way you weren't ready for, not in a way you weren't prepared for, not in a way that is contrary to the passions he put in your heart, but he will lift you up in due time. At, I mean, just, and if you need just an example, David was sure that, if, I mean, man, if you want some inspiration, go read the song that David sang after he was declared king. And he's like, man, like my, like my God brought me here. Like with my God, I can do all these things. Like he just goes on and on about how what his life is like with his God. With God, in, you know, just, and, and he's just, he has this moment of, man, like it's, it's this moment of fulfillment. And it is beautiful. If you just you know, take a moment to read it sometime, it's really great. So God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand by casting all your cares on him. Because he cares for you. Do you love it whenever your own children come to you genuinely seeking advice and some help? Do you, do you like that? Yeah, yeah. And whenever they come, do you put your hand on their shoulder and drive them to sit down and say, you stay here until you've thought about this? And I, do you do that? No, okay. We need to begin to think about the way we operate with our father differently because he is a good father. So because he is a good father, whenever we help, you know, your kids, when they come to you for help, that is humility. But they are not putting themselves down. You see the difference? Okay, like, so the way we approach our father should be like his children. With the confidence that I know my dad is going to help me out. My, my, my dad's a good dad. I know my dad's going to help me out. You know, the way we approach it is so differently, guys. And it's a really good way. So it matters where you put your heart. It matters because it conveys relationship in your life. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay. We're going to look at one more passage. And we're going to look at John 3, verses 16 and 17. Okay? 16 and 17. Now, this is a passage. I know we know it. Um, I'm going to read it right from the Bible anyway. For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. We do a really good job of trusting God with our salvation. Why would we want to do any less of a job at trusting him with all the other parts of our life? Because if we can trust him with that, which is, which is the, the greatest thing. If we can trust him there, guys, can you point to a single aspect of your life that you think, well, I don't know about, you know. And, I, and granted, you know, at times we find that I was carrying this thing and didn't realize I was carrying this thing as we walked this life out, okay. We find that we were carrying something and we weren't even aware because we carried it for so long it was like it was a part of us. 
and a God eventually says, I want to take that. I don't want you to carry that anymore. You know? And that happens. But, but if we can trust him with the salvation of the world, of offering that to, the, to everyone who's ever lived, saying, come freely, if we believe him for that, why not believe him for the thing that your heart cares about? We can trust him with that. And that is, that, guys, that is a good news. That is really good news. So, guys, your cares are an investment. And if where you place them isn't giving you a return, let's not put them there anymore. Yeah? We all have cares. And if you come to a day where you feel like you don't have one, as time goes on, you end up with them. And that's just, I mean, you know, I mean, no, no matter where, where you're at in life, generally speaking, cares, you either have them or you gain them. And that happens. But we want to have a mindset of as they come, and they do and they will, where are we going to put them before they come? Like, I know, you know, like, have that in your mind, because then when they come, you know where it belongs. You're not like, uh, just, um, uh, hold on, uh, some, somebody, like, just, uh, you know, we're not living that way. And I think we've all seen people who live that way. You know, I don't know where to put this, you know, and they run up a room and there's pockets, man, like you only fit so many care, you know, and they're running, walking around and they just don't know where to put it. But if we have that mindset beforehand, when we get there, we know where to put it. And you're not walking around going, I can't carry one more thing. Like, I can't. I can't carry one. Because you knew where to put them as they came, right? Now you're not carrying five at a time. You carry one and you know what it is. And you sit with God with it. Okay. And there it belongs. Guys, there it belongs. You share cares with your spouse because you trust your spouse. It conveys trust. If we trust our spouse, guys, if we want our kids to, you know, we love it when our kids trust us. But when when you place your cares on the Lord and you leave it there, you're showing you believe he can handle it. If I believed that this table was not going to be able to support that bottle, I would quickly grab it again not wanting it to fall. But when I believe that that table can handle that thing, I set it down and I am okay walking away because I believe it is going to stay there and it can support that weight. Are you with me? So guys, whatever the care is this day, and it would probably be helpful for us individually to have what that care is in your mind because we're about to pray and we're about to say, God, take this thing and if you don't know how to let go of it, Ask him to show you how, because wherever you are, he will show you how to get to where, you are, where he wants you to be. He will, it's not, there was never a situation where I don't know how, therefore I can't. Because as Jesus said, he is our teacher. So we always have what we need. We always have that. Okay, so we're going to pray, and we're going to eventually get to engage your world in several weeks. And I believe before we engage our world, we should stop carrying three backpacks worth of stuff. Yeah? Amen? Yeah? Okay, good. So let's do that now. Let's do that. Let's empty our backpacks. Let's do it today. So we're going to pray. Have that care in your mind. Let's get ready to let go of that. Yeah? Here we go. Father, we thank you that you are our good father. God, that we can come to you with every single care. God, and not only do you take that and do with it as what should be done, but Father, you lift us up in a manner where we get to be a light in this world, Father, where we get to be free, where we get to go out and make a difference, where we get to show people what you are like. Father, you make us free from these burdens, and good things actually come out of giving them to you. So Father, right now, whatever the burden is, whether it is 
material, whether it's relational, whether it is um, in our thought processes, where it is mental, God, whatever that thing is, we say, Father, here, take this thing. We don't want to carry it around anymore. We don't want to be burdened by it. Father, and if there's any part of us that doesn't know how to let go, we ask you now, show us what that looks like. Whether it is one step or whether it is a day-by-day step, show us what that is. But Father, right now, we say we don't want to hold on to these things and carry them around all the time anymore. Thank you for being our good Father. Father, thank you for loving us well. Thank you for saving the whole world, Father. We trust you with all things, and we trust you with our life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's encouraging podcast. You can find out more information about the church on our Facebook page at Cornerstone of Victory Church, Statesville. Remember, life begins at the cross.